Sales Enablement Society, Stories from the Trenches, where enablement practitioners share their real-world experiences. Get the scoop on what's happening inside sales enablement teams across the global SES member community. Each segment of Stories from the Trenches share the good, the bad, and the ugly practices of corporate sales enablement initiatives. Learn what worked, what didn't work, and how obstacles were eliminated by corporate teams and leadership. Sit back, grab a cold one, and join host Paul Butterfield, Vice President of Sales Enablement at Instructure, for casual conversations about the wide and varied profession of sales enablement, where there is never a one-size-fits-all solution. Welcome, everybody, to the last episode of Stories from the Trenches for 2021. It's December. Can you believe it? And we're really about a week away from Christmas. So whether you celebrate Christmas or whether you celebrate Kwanzaa or Hanukkah or just time with the family, we hope you're having a great time this time of year. And for this final episode, we've got a guest that's going to bring a little bit different perspective. In fact, I'm going to start with the introduction. So her name is Shelly Mesh. Welcome, Shelly. Shelly has experience in an area that we haven't talked a lot about on the podcast, and that is B2C selling. B2C sellers need enablement just like B2B sellers. And so we're going to spend some time hitting some different angles of that, talk a little bit about recruiting and the age of the Great Resignation and all of that. So Shelly, welcome. And I'm really excited you're here. And do you want to maybe uh, just introduce yourself for a minute or two, a couple of things about you? Sure. Thanks, Paul. Well, I have been in sales training enablement world for a long bit of time, not under the enablement umbrella, which is how I think a lot of people come to this kind of opportunity. And presently, I'm doing consultants for a digital ad agency, and this is for their entry-level employees, typically straight out of college, and they really need structure to what they're learning. And prior to this and working on building this out, they haven't had really any training there's so many opportunities in that line of work for mistakes. And it's really important that they feel confident, that they feel prepared, that they have the right resources. Otherwise, it's just constant turnover. Yes, which is so expensive. Churn is a sales metric that I hope most of our listeners or the organization they work for are tracking, because I agree with you. It's not ideal, far from ideal, to the candidate that's joining. And I always feel like when we're asking someone to come on board and make a commitment, it's a pretty big ask. Yes, we've been interviewing them, but we owe it to them to give them the opportunity to kind of interview us and, and understand the job. And, and all of that can, can reduce that churn. Um, when we were talking uh, earlier, you... You had some some opinions that you shared with me on sales enablement's role in the recruiting process. I think a lot of times when people think new hires and sales enablement, they just jump right to the onboarding, the ramping, etc. So I'd love for you to share some of your, your experiences um, that you shared with me on the whole idea of sales enablement as part of recruiting. Sure. I'm excited to talk about that. So I think it's really important. I think we all can agree the first step in sales enablement is having the right people in place. And 
so often someone may be giving a list to HR and we sort of post and cross our fingers. And I think the fact step one is working directly with HR to define exactly what it is, exactly how the job will be described, so that that person coming in has a good idea about what are they applying for in the first place? Mm -hmm. Why would they apply for this job? Why will it be meaningful for them? How is it going to support their personal development? So these are all things that job candidates are looking for and particularly important when in this particular case, it's entry level. But in any case, I think the first step is partnering with HR to get the right people in place. I like what you said about um, that they're interested in their personal development. And I think that's even more critical right now because there is such fierce competition for, for good candidates, regardless of what entry level or excuse me, what, what, what point in their career they're coming in. And I agree with you. They're looking for that personal development. They're looking for more than a paycheck or a way to make a living. They want something that they can get excited about and, and, and a company that also is committing back to them. Now, you mentioned getting involved with HR. Does that involve helping write a job description? Where does that, where does that involvement with HR really begin or should it begin? I think it begins. The first is a conversation that we can both agree on. What is this job? And what do we need? And what are we going to be able to offer? Because, you know, in speaking with recruiters in HR, so often there hasn't been a conversation and it sort of ties their hands. They don't have a really good understanding. And then the candidates perhaps just aren't right for the job, it doesn't have to be that they meet every single requirement. At the end of the day, it's, can I do this job? Mm -hmm. And we see that so much more now that companies are really looking at skill Mm -hmm. level and that coachability. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you also want them to learn your process, your way. Right. And, I think that conversation with HR from the recruiters that I have spoken with where that manager actually sits down with them to have a discussion. Mm -hmm. It's such a much easier process. So if the process lives in HR, if I were a sales enablement person that wanted to go and start that conversation with HR and, and offer um, to partner up on it, for example, how would you suggest from your experience that I talk to them about enabling? Because they may not be thinking of me that way. I like to have something to react to. Okay. So I would start on my end with writing my own job description or mm-hmm. bulleting this out so that they have something to react to. And that way we can make sure everything fits that particular format. There may have some questions there that they're not going to understand. But it's really tying this together to make their job easier. And so that I can get the right people in place to do the right job. Okay. As the sales enablement uh, person, 
Are you bringing experience in onboarding people in these various roles to that? What are you applying that that may be unique to your knowledge or experience to that job description that maybe they don't have? Oftentimes, I think it's a checklist Mm -hmm. versus a real understanding first of the company, the company values, which is very important, particularly in today's job market. Okay. That a candidate's values will align with the company. An understanding of who will be successful here. Again, versus sort of like just a checklist of items. So a lot of times I like to come to the table with a job description the way I have written it thus far. And then it's a lot easier to have something to react to. Okay. Or again, come to the table with these are the things I think are important. Okay. And then we can finesse it the way they want it. Yeah, I, I I think that's I think that's valuable advice. Um, can only speak to my own experience, but I agree. If I were to show you the sales name framework that that I created when I was you know earlier in my career, that's where it starts. It doesn't start with boot camp. It starts with that hiring process, and and so a lot of what you're saying really resonates with me. So thank you for that, um, and, and I'm sure it does with others that are listening. Sure. Now, sure. Well, yeah, I go ahead. From I'm sorry. Well, you know, I talked about this training and consulting. I come from a really different niche industry. Mm-hmm. And I worked at an au pair agency for over a decade. It's a very unusual type of product because mm-hmm. it's very personal. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with people's money. You're dealing with people's children. Yeah. And yeah. you're dealing with a situation where you basically... Put it, you know, you've interviewed someone online, maybe on the phone, and then you invite them to move in. So it does take a special kind of person. And so you were helping to hire and enable the consultants that were matching families or, or recruiting families into the service. Right. So the consultants that I worked with mm-hmm. were going to provide Department of State compliance because mm-hmm. this is a program overseen by the Department of State. They were going to do all the customer service for the most part, you know, outside of maybe taking payments and such. They are the ones who are working directly with the family and au pairs. It's really important to have this relationship of trust in this particular case. It's a very intimate relationship. Mm -hmm. That's not always true for all types of selling, but at the end of the day, that trust is very important. Agreed. So, so you're, 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 you're selling to consumers. It's a very intimate sale because you are inviting someone to move into your home and be part of your family and interact with your children. I also like, I think it's interesting that they don't just have the sale part, but then they own that relationship, which is not an uncommon model that, that a lot of companies use. Oh, yes, in the sales part too. <laughs> yeah. That's why I say, yeah, they're selling, but then they're they're but then they own that relationship going forward. Uh, which is actually the case in a lot of SaaS companies as well that are especially in the early part of their maturity model where sales continues to do the customer success. We talked a little bit more about that trust that you just mentioned. We also talked about that often non-traditional candidates turn out to be wildly successful, yet may not that may not be apparent when you're recruiting and and you're in that interview process. And I think we both agree that companies right now really do need to be looking, thinking out of the box, looking a little more broadly for talented folks 
So let's dive. There's a lot there. Um, let's dive into that a little bit. When you talk about your non-traditional candidates, how do you start to identify some that may be a good fit for your company that aren't obvious when you looked at their LinkedIn profile, for example? Well, this particular case, again, I talk about passion for the program. Oftentimes, this is someone who was connected to the program. Mm -hmm. So either they had been an au pair, they had been in host family, or they had grown up with an au pair. And that's something that's not going to show up in your LinkedIn profile. Okay. So it does take, take some digging in. And one of the things that we really looked for was an interest in cultural exchange. And if someone came from a different country, mm-hmm. that was very intriguing because they understood culture shock. It was helpful if they already had children. You didn't need to have children to be successful. Mm-hmm. It's just a, being plugged in to parenting networks. Someone who they have a really nurturing personality. And again, some of that, you know, you're not going to be able to grab from a job application. So you look again, okay, well, what was the job description stuff? <laughs> what were the things that I looked for when I worked with HR on that description? Because again, I'm not looking for a checklist. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for some specific things and perhaps some keywords whether that's in their resume, whether it's in the application, whether it's in a cover letter, which is why, you know, we always recommend that candidates tailor right. their, their job materials to the application. So your case, you're talking about um, consultants that are selling an au pair service. And there are a lot of kinds of service out there that people are in sales selling. Um, and, and again, we're talking about B2C, so we could even just focus on that. But if I'm not, if I'm, if I'm an, a sales enabler and I want to work with my HR department and we're selling a service different from necessarily just au pairs, um, what advice or is there advice that you could give, give us on how to start looking for more of those non-traditional candidates? That's what I was looking for. One of the things that I think is particularly important is someone who is excited about growing their potential, mm-hmm. developing their career. Mm-hmm. These are some of the things that people are looking for now. And this is where you're going to, this is how you dig in and find some of these folks. Again, kind of getting beyond, uh, getting beyond what their degree is and what their background has been. So taking a look at the types of work that they have done before. Was there a customer service aspect to that? Were they working with perhaps um, an unusual demographic or population? Was there a situation where they it was really important that they were building trust with that client? So we don't need to look for someone who's got a sales background, but we could extrapolate from that background and see how there's a sales component to it. If I work at a fast food restaurant, then I've got someone who has customer service skills, Mm -hmm. sales skills, works directly with the public, has confidence, has training, Mm -hmm. has the ability to do the job. And that's what we need to be looking for is experience and skills because studies do show that 
I think it's something like there's a 40% better chance of retention if you have someone who's a skilled worker than someone who comes in with a degree. So I think that's important too, is that let's be, get beyond college degree. That's not what you need. Okay. And a lot of times that's not, it's not what you need. The, and, and again, I think this opens people up to a whole another pool of candidates. Which is so critical. Thank you. Thanks for elaborating on that. Mm-hmm. So let's fast forward a little bit. We've identified some really strong non-traditional candidates. We were able to show them a job description that was that, that met, you know, their needs and the goals that they have for their career. And now they're getting ready to start next week. Or maybe today's their first day. When you think about sales enablement and sales training, I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about what does onboarding look like? for someone moving into a selling role that doesn't come from a sales background. Now, I'll share briefly with the audience, the company that that I happen to be with right now in Structure, we have a very similar situation to what you just described. Most people are, people are most familiar, I should say, with our flagship product, which is called Canvas, which is used very widely in higher ed and K-12 environments to provide online learning. And especially after last year, even more schools than ever are are doing that and putting that in place. My point is, many of our most successful salespeople were teachers or district administrators that also came with passion and needed to learn how to sell. How does that look different for them in your experience? What, what, what would you recommend that we be, how should we be thinking about them? What I find is that sales is an important part of that job. And oftentimes, we do have people come in with sales reluctance. Okay. They, just, they don't have the confidence to do it. They don't view themselves as a seller. Mm-hmm. And so it's very important for us to flip that switch for them. So you're not a salesperson, you're a share person. You've got a product. Someone has a need. Nobody wants to be sold to. Find out what that need is and then share the information with them. Okay. So it can take you out of this mindset and the pressure as a new person in sales, as we're first enabling someone, whether whether they have a strong sales background or not. This is a new, it's often a new product, it's a new company, it's a new process. But a lot of times it's getting around that confidence and building it. And the first step is we don't want you to sell. We just we want you to share what we have, find out what they need, share with them what they what we have, and let's say there's a connection there. And there might be and there might not be. And I think that's the other thing too. And particularly in the au pair world and in B2C, be real careful about selling them something that they don't want and make sure that you're having a strong focus on service and this strong focus on building relationships. So that's oftentimes the first thing, too, is the first thing I want you to do is getting to know your people. So creating these relationships. You know, people often come in to existing clients Mm -hmm. who may have had a great experience before or may not have, and there's some service recovery that's going to have to happen first. People like to buy from people they like. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna like you. You talked to me earlier about what you call hero moments and how those can be um, critical to someone's experience coming in and, and, and ramping up into this sales role. Uh, we're almost out of time, but I'd like to I'd like to talk about that for a few minutes and, and maybe help people understand what are those hero moments in your experience and how do we set new hires up to have them? With this particular program, referrals were your best quality leads. Two-thirds of families who were referrals actually welcomed an au pair. And there were times where it was a great opportunity to do that because that customer was on a little bit of a high. Mm-hmm. So let's say they're, they're coming and they're saying, wow, thank you so much. You helped me out. That was great. That's an, an opportunity to either ask for referrals or to upsell what you've got there. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you had a great experience with that. You know, we have XYZ too. Have you thought about that? When they haven't had a great experience and you've untangled some kind of issue mm-hmm. that they have had and they're relieved, that is also a great hero moment. I came in, I saved the day for you. Look at that. And then, you know, it's, it's something that has been particularly special about your product, your program, your company, that's a good time to share it. When we talk about values, which is a very important thing, mm-hmm. and there, let's say there's something in the press that really highlights those values, that's a great opportunity to share with your, with your clients, with your customers as well, because they, too, want to do business with a company with shared values, to see they're making a difference so that they're they're not just buying the product, they're not just buying that commodity, mm-hmm. they're buying that company. They're buying you and they're buying that company. Fair point. Because you've illustrated once again, why is my company so special? Okay. And so it sounds like these are all components that need to be built in or, or at least, you know, helping them understand the, the nature of those things and helping them maybe do role playing or, or other things in their onboarding experience so that they're able to feel more confident when they do get on the phone with customers, whether they're renewal customers or otherwise. And one of the first things that we have new folks focus on is renewal. There is a customer who is already using our product. It's a program that we don't have to explain to them. Mm-hmm. And it's just a good place to start. Again, we're focusing on building relationships, customer service. And as you're building those relationships, again, you've got a great opportunity to say, hey, so have you thought about next year? What's coming up? And of course, then providing them. In fact, like you said, role plays, scripts, a methodology. So, and, you know, market understanding. Mm-hmm. All the pieces that we would normally see with onboarding and that kind of enablement. Okay. They need all those pieces too. This has been a great conversation and I had a lot of fun and I learned stuff. So thank you. Appreciate you spending some time with us. 
the the thing I always like to I always like to give guests a chance um, as we wrap up to you know drop some knowledge on all of us. And here's your chance. So if you were able to go back and visit with yourself, your younger version of yourself, beginning of your career, something like that, what is the biggest piece of advice that you would want to share that you wish you'd known back then? I wish I had known that I should look at larger companies, to be quite honest. There's a lot of learning opportunities. Oftentimes, there's a lot of structure. There are people that can really help you evolve and be more marketable. Whereas with something that, and and I would say an industry that people understand. If you're working in the stock exchange or you are selling cybersecurity, people understand that. This CRM is going to be, this is how this is going to help me. So that's what, for me personally, I wish I had gone to an industry that people understood that had longevity. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people there that I could learn from. There was structure in place. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And thank you for all of you who've been listening and enjoying this conversation along with me as I've spent some time with Shelly. And once again, I hope that you had a great 21 and I hope that you're as excited as you can, you know, can be about the future of sales enablement in 2022. It's such an amazing profession to be in right now. And I wish you all fantastic success and enjoy the rest of the holiday season. Till next time, this is Paul and I'll see you then. Thanks for joining this episode of Stories from the Trenches. For more sales enablement resources, be sure to join the Sales Enablement Society at www.sesociety.org. That's www.sesociety.org.